Welcome back to QAV TK and everybody. This is episode 540. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 11th of October, 1.47 p.m. in Brisbane, 2.48 now in uh, Sydney. Uh, happy birthday to Hunter and Taylor. They turned 22 today and they're back off to LA tomorrow for six weeks to sow their wild oats or whatever the hell they're doing over there. It's business. They're going over for <laughs> business. Uh, by business, they mean having sex with lots of girls and getting drunk. <laughs> and having, according to them last time, having large plates of Coke passed in front of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we didn't yeah. have any. We didn't have any. <laughs> Guys walking around parties with AR-15s. But as I was telling Ruddy the other day, for Taylor, like when Taylor goes out in a clubbing here, he's a 6 out of 10. When he goes to LA with an Australian accent, an identical twin brother and his clients that have millions of Twitter, uh, millions of uh, TikTok followers, then he's an 8 you know, all of those things make him an eight in LA where he's only a six here. So that's why he goes over. I think it's to make him an eight. Right. And there's like being non-American make you a 12 and then you get points taken off for TikTok followers <laughs> and the other things. Oh, uh, no, you, you're not in touch with the young girls. Uh, no, I'm not. Today, Tony. No, it's <laughs> a good thing. And of course, they weren't the only birthday this week. Happy yes, birthday, regret, regretfully, Mr. President. Happy I had my birthday, birthday yesterday. Turned fifty-two. Okay, that's <laughs> that's really creepy. Kind of creepy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I have to thank you, and and I'm, I'm happy about the gift you sent me, but also not happy about the gift. Oh, no, I'll send it back. So, <laughs> well, no. Tony sent me a lovely gift. It was a, a bottle of scotch called Cowboys of Patagonia. <laughs> And it's lovely. I had one glass on the night it arrived, which was the night uh, before my birthday, I think, because um, the boys came over for a dinner. But it's ruined me forever. It's ruined scotch. I can't drink anything else but this now because oh, it's so like bloody it. good. Oh, good. Have you, had, have you had this? I haven't. I'm going to order some now, though. I had the first sip and seriously, like, okay, in all fairness, it's been a while since I've had a good scotch. <laughs> But I had one sip of this and my brain exploded and I was like, oh, my God, I can never drink anything else ever again. This was really it's just complex and rich and then full-bodied and, yeah, it's really nice. So thank you, but you've ruined me forever <laughs> now. I have, to, I have to drink expensive scotch now. I hope Nico Devlin's not listening because uh, it's one of his competitors. His competition, yeah, the yeah, single malt, single, single malt whiskey society. From uh, they're based in Edinburgh. They've got a branch out here. But when I joined Nico's Australian Whiskey Appreciation Society, of course, Facebook kept giving me ads for other ones, other societies, and I joined this one too. And they're both good. I recommend both of them. This one is like a one-off. So they distilleries they use all around the world, and they don't tell you where it comes from. But you can go onto a Facebook site which will decode the numbering system and tell you where it's from. But the reason they don't tell you where it's from is because they take the spirit, they source their own casks, they fill their cask, they might, you know, put other shavings in or store it away for a while and then recask it in something, another barrel. Anyway, they do their hocus pocus and they bottle it themselves, give it a a funny name and uh, release, I don't know, a dozen or so a, a month and all around the world. Right. And they're all car strength, which is important, and uh, they're lovely. 
Well, I got to read. I'll read for everyone what it says on the label of this. <laughs> Apologies to people who don't care about scotch, but you're on the wrong podcast. <laughs> it says, oh, this is the description on the single malt whiskey website for Cowboys of Patagonia. An intriguing mixture of flapjacks, malt extracts, cinnamon buns, chocolate orange, and a steak grilling over sweet chestnut charcoal made us rather curious as we took a sip. Wow, it was a smoky and sweet, dirty steak. Think caveman or cowboy. However, there was a small difference as we served it with a deep purple, full-bodied Chilean Malbec with those on-the-tongue flavours of damson and blackberry alongside notes of pepper and spice while in the long finish, a savoury sweet note of a Turkish coffee. Following eight years in an Oloroso butt, we transferred this whiskey into a heavy charred first fill puncheon. I didn't understand 80% of the words <laughs> used there, but... Uh, no, me neither. I liked it nonetheless. And they are good marketers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very good. Anyway, uh, thank you again. It was It's really, really nice. Good. Made my birthday very special. All right. Let's get back to the show. Oil and copper were buys at one point. Not sure copper is a buy anymore. Yeah, I I had a look today. I think it's right on its sell line at the moment. Yeah, that's what I thought yesterday too. So would you consider that a buy or a sell or a Josephine? Josephine, just don't touch it for the moment till it resolves itself. Oil, I think, is a buy again. Actually, it may always always have been a buy because we're using the Brent graph. Right. No, I think it was a Josephine a little while oh, ago. Oh, you're right, actually. Comms Good point. I should call it up and have a look. And what about gold? I looked at gold yesterday and I thought it uh, may have changed too. Uh, I think gold's getting close and I'm using the Australian dollar gold chart, that one, but I don't think it's crossed yet. Yeah, no, you're right. Brent was a Josephine. Now it's back to, um, yeah, it's just become a buy again. So that's oil. And then, so I'm using goldprice.org for the chart because it's a place that has a five year Australian dollar gold priced chart. Yeah. So I've got a H1 of H1 of July 2020, 1st of July 2020, H2 of 1st of April 2022. And it looks like the line's just touching. You're talking about the buy line? Yeah, looks like it's just touching the buy line. So keep an eye on gold, people. I think it might be a buy too soon, the way it's going. Yeah. Okay, uh, jolly good. Nevexa mentioned us in their blog. Uh, they said they were, the, uh, they were talking about good investing podcasts. They threw us in there. That was nice of them. Thank you, guys. Speaking of Nevexa, portfolios uh, doing well. I think we're up since inception. The dummy portfolio is up about 16 odd percent versus the ASX 200, the sexy two, which is up about four and a half percent over the same period of time. So we're still doing three and a half times better than the sexy two. But I particularly want to give a shout out to um, SMR. <laughs> that I accidentally bought last week, and I shouldn't have because it was coking coal, and coking coal's a sell or a Josephine. It's up fifteen percent since I bought it last <laughs> week. So thank you to SMR for uh, saving my butt. A little boost. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you uh, 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 looking after me there, Stan. Stan Moore. Stan Moore. Stan Hope. Stan it Moore. is. Yeah, one of those. You have to wear the bad 
mistakes, so we'll happily take the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of mistakes, did you mean to buy Sunland Group for the dummy portfolio? I did. Well, what do you mean? Did I mean to? Yes, I bought it. <laughs> right. No, and I then put somebody a posted on Facebook <laughs> that they're shutting shutting down. Didn't run off. Yeah. But I did a pulled pork about it about a month ago. Oh, well, I can't remember what happened yesterday, Tony. I don't know. <laughs> did you say don't buy it? Uh, no, I didn't. I said, you know, be careful. It's, it's in rundown. Oh, okay. Well, something else I need to check now before I buy things is what you said, <laughs> what you've said about something. <laughs> Lately, I should check that. So what should I do? Again, just uh, follow the rules? Correct. Unfortunately, I think it'll probably become a sell because it's in rundown, so the share price is dropping. Yeah, I saw it's down a bit. If we didn't get a dividend to compensate for that, then we're going to probably have to sell it for rule one reasons. Well, should I just sell it now then? Yeah, probably. It makes sense too. Just check the dividend dates before you do, just in case you received it. Because they've been doing a lot of capital returns and dividends, and dividends are out about, right about now. So if you didn't get a dividend, I'd sell it. I mean, that's a tough thing. It's, you've raised, a, you've highlighted a good thing here about uh, we can't, I mean, the, the buy list is bulging now with caveats in terms of Josephines and commodities and all that stuff. But they have to then go and put in little asterisks on some shares that we've had a good look at and they're not to buy. It's pretty hard. Well, MLD is another one of those. Macca keeps showing up at the top of our buy list every week. And I have to remember that it's because I did, I, I bought that one a while back, remember, and I had to sell it because they're being acquired and the acquisition price was about the same as the buy price, et cetera. Yeah. I haven't looked to see if it's moved since then. I don't want to know. But yeah, there's a lot of these stocks that we can't buy for various reasons. Yeah, my buying process is always to check the stock out before I buy it, do a Google search, see what's happening, check the announcements, see what's happening. And you can you can quickly work out whether you're comfortable or not buying it. Generally, it's not an issue, but just I don't know if it's because of the market being in downturn or whatever, but there's a few funny ones coming to the top of the buy list at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I have gotten into the habit of checking the news recently with the buyers. I don't know when I bought SG, SDG, but there you go. I obviously forgot to check the news that day. Or you could just listen to what I say. <laughs> <laughs> I listen. It's the remembering bit that's the ah, hard right. bit, Tony. Yeah. I okay. don't remember anything. <laughs> well, how else have I screwed up? Or coked up. I should have used that last week when it's coke. I cocked up on that one. Yeah, what else have I cocked up on this week, Tony? Nothing baldric. <laughs> I have a cunning plan, sire. Uh, I'll take this turnip. <laughs> <laughs> the last time you had a cunning plan, baldric, was when your mother's roof was too low and you decided to chop off her head. Good old black hatter. Oh, Oh, no, we'll talk about it in after hours. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. yeah. So last thing I had was just to remind people we had a rate rise last week. And uh, for people who are still using my spreadsheet, sell AM31 in the, the two sheets, the download data sheet and top scorers list needs to be 2.6% now. And I did a survey of mortgage rates from the four major banks, and then they're averaging 5.96%. So 5.96 goes into cell AW32 in my spreadsheet to keep it up to date. And that's all I got, except for full pork. People using the Flipman model can just uh, go to the variables page. Uh, do you want to talk about the TGA consolidation? Yeah, I, I do. I've got it down as a question that's coming up. I can do it now if you like. Oh, you can do that later. 
Uh, it's just want to make sure we touch on that because it's had me scratching my head in the last couple of days too. You wanted to do your pulled pork? Yeah, I do. And thanks to, uh, who was it now? Ali. Thank you, Ali, for asking for best and less to be uh, investigated. And again, she has a question later on, which I'll go through about whether best and less is better than Maya to buy. They're both on our buy list. People may shop at best and less. It's a value apparel retailer. So it's uh, for the price conscious shopper. They have 250 stores in Australia and New Zealand. And in New Zealand, a lot of them are called posty stores, which was a chain I'm familiar with from living there. And uh, this kind of retailer could probably do well in the recession as, as the market goes or towards the value-oriented end, which was, I guess, Ali's question, uh, something to look at. I want to make a general comment, though, on retailers, especially those that have relisted after private equity ownership. And my notes have a big beware exclamation mark in them because it's getting to become a well-worn path now, particularly for retailers. But I guess private equity can do this with any sort of company. But private equity bought out, I think they bought Dick Smith from Woolworths or they bought it um, maybe after it was spun off from Woolworths. But Dick Smith went broke when it was relisted, soon after it went relisted. I'm pretty sure Meyer has never been back to its listing price. It was owned by private equity. They bought it off Colesmeyer, held it for a couple of years and then uh, relisted it. And best and less fits this category. So it, it listed in July 2021. And uh, even though it rose above the list price, it's now back below its IPO listing price uh, slightly. So there's a history of private equity owning assets and fixing them. I'll use inverted commas. I mean, their, their business plan generally is to sell as many assets as they can, to load up the company with debt, to cut all the fat out of it, and then find someone to sell it to. They get quite a bit of upside because they're focused on metrics like return on equity, which they know investors are focused on. And uh, after they've done their their PE magic, their private equity magic, they recycle the <laughs> asset. And give me that that's telling in itself because you know this is this is capitalism red and tooth and claw. They argue, and anyone could argue that they've done a good job at improving the profitability of the company. They've trimmed the fat. They've sold off assets which are. Uh, Outside of core, if you're a retailer, why are you doing? Why are you, uh, you know, holding property networks? You know, the property play. You're a retailer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If they did such a good job with the company, why aren't they still the owner? And and they'll say, oh, but we make most of our profits in the first couple of years when we restructure the business. Yeah, of course, of course you do. So why should I buy it off you? So buy beware with these things. It's a generalisation. Doesn't always happen, but it's it's um, there is a, a track record here. Private equity, in my humble opinion, is almost the exact opposite of the owner-founders that we're trying to seek. So they don't take long-term decisions for the benefit of the company. They tend to do the reverse and and try and look for short-term hits uh, that they can uh, rip costs out or uh, or fat and uh, try and position the company uh, to relist. And of course- They're Gordon Gecko with Teldar paper. They are. Yeah, exactly. Strip it and sell what's left. Yeah. And- uh, they're kind of using the one up on Wall Street mentality against the, the retail investors because a lot of people, you know, they'll see a Meyer coming back on and they'll think, oh, I should buy that. I shopped there. It's, it's not bad. So they buy. So these listings often have a large retail shareholder base and they're the ones who aren't sophisticated enough to dive into the company and look at the numbers. So buy beware. However, the caveat with all of that foregoing is that what often happens with these retailers, if they survive, is that they actually come onto our buy list like Meyer has and like 
best and best has after a while because uh, the share price drops and uh, management is brought in and stabilizes the company. And if they're good, it, uh, it becomes a reasonable sort of company to look at. And I think that might be the case for best and less. I'll go through the numbers first and then make some commentary, but not a big company. The ADT for best and less is $111,000. So not huge, but, but big enough, I guess. Uh, I'm doing my analysis at $2.43 share price, which was the price on the weekend, uh, which is below the consensus target. I noticed the yield for this company is nearly 9.5%, 9.47%, which is very high. Uh, the share price has got quite halved in the last 12 months. So that's possibly a reason for it. But that would indicate to me, even though I think it's a good thing, um, it would indicate to me that uh, uh, there's no growth prospects out there at the moment for this company. So oftentimes you see a retailer uh, will take cash and return it in the way of dividends rather than make a, a silly acquisition or invest too much in retail stores if they already have a high market share. So their growth options are limited. So that's potentially the case. However, having said that, the consensus forecast is that they'll get 15% growth next year. So this possibly is a sweet spot of a company with lots of cash, paying a really good dividend and also having growth. So they're three big ticks. Uh, PE is 8.4. And uh, there's only been two PEs we can use so far, and it is the higher of the two. I think the last uh, half was only about seven. So it doesn't score for that, but that's still pretty low. Prop cap is only 3.7 times. So that's, uh, again, very low, very attractive. The share price is above IV1, but less than IV2. Interestingly enough, it's way above book plus 30%. So net equity per share is only 59 cents for this company, and the share price is, what I say, $2.43. So uh, that would suggest to me that um, as a result of private equity selling assets, there's um, not many assets on the balance sheet. So an issue, but um, one we may overlook for all the other benefits of this company. Consensus growth is forecast to be 15%, which means that it scores on a growth over PE. The score is 1.83 and our hurdle is 1.5. So it's um, interesting it's scoring as a yield stock and as a growth stock, which is great. The yield is obviously higher than bank debt, even though bank debt's gone up, but that's good. And I want to come to the kicker with this one. This is probably the most interesting thing I found about this company. Directors holdings are 25%. So it's not an owner-founder because the company's been through private equity hands and relisted. But a, a chap by the name of Brett Blundy holds 16% of the company. And if anyone has worked in retail or knows a bit about retail, Brett Blundy's right up there with the best retailers in Australia. Started off with a, a group called Sanity Record Stores and basically grew a retail empire from there back in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, I think, from memory. So he's got a 16% stake. So he sees an upside and he's a really experienced retailer. Probably up there in the Retail Hall of Fame with people like uh, Solly Lou, Jerry Harvey, the guys who run Reese Plumbing. The sort of, you run out of names pretty quickly in this sort of pantheon, but Brett Bundy's up there. So that's a real positive, I think. And it scores because someone uh, on the board has a high shareholding. It also has a new three-point trend upturn and increasing, consistently increasing equity. So I give it a quality score of 94% and a QAV score of 0.25. So uh, well done, Ellie. It's, um, it's one to, to check out, people. And what did you say the ADT is on that? $111,000. Well, we surprised when I'm looking at Maya uh, how low its ADT is. It's like $50,000 or something like that. Uh, it's more than that, I think. Really? 
It's not much more. It's a small cap stock. I had to look because I was comparing them before. I think mine is about 600,000 from memory. What? See, I told you my memory shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm wrong too. It's 862,000. Really? Oh, well. It's the other Meyer I'm talking about that has a small ADT. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, it still makes it a small cap stock. And, you know, we, we use like a million ADT as the cutoff, right, between a small and a large cap stock. So still small cap stock. It's Meyer. It is. I agree. They, did you see the Fin review today? The directors wrote to Solyulu and said, make an offer for the company rather than keep creeping up the share. Stop buying stock. Yeah, <laughs> I did see that. Yeah, I thought, hmm, that's not really an indi- I hope that's not an indication of the quality of the board. That was a, a very dumb move, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Solly, we don't like you doing something. We'd rather you do this. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really understand that. I was going to ask you about that one. The other thing I read this morning that I liked was um, the smartest man in England was out here speaking to the Business Council of Australia or something, and he was trashing Liz Truss and Boris Johnson and the oh, okay. the Tories generally as having lost the plot, having no clue and how Brexit's ruined the country and et cetera, et cetera. And he was using Scott Morrison's uh, <laughs> secret uh, job, com- job appointments, self-appointments as a uh, an indication of uh, how democracy suffered during uh, lockdown. Well, I don't know if you have to be the smartest man in Britain to point out those things. <laughs> you could probably take the average person in Britain to point them out, really. Uh, <laughs> all right. Are you ready to get into Q&As? Yeah, lots of them. Thank you for the questions, everyone. It's uh, quite, uh, quite on point and quite detailed. I've had a bit of a drought of questions recently, so it's interesting that when they come, they all come at once. First one is from Kieran. I Cam, I had a question about dividend payments and sell lines. I think I may have misunderstood something Tony has said in previous episodes, but I've had a few stocks in the last couple of weeks that were trending down, then went ex-dividend. After going ex-dividend, they've continued to decline so that they are either below their rule number one sell or their three PTL, even if you add back the dividend to the price. I've held on to these in the anticipation that once the dividend is paid, the price would go up. They'd probably still be sells, but the price wouldn't be so low. Anyway, on several of them, the price hasn't risen after the payment date and they are declining further. This may be where I'm going wrong. I know that a price will dip when a share goes ex-dividend, but is it usually the case that it then rises once the dividend is paid? And if so, why is that? How do we deal with sells in this case? Do we chuck it as soon as the price with the dividend added back crosses our sell line or hold until the payment date and sell then? Cheers, Kieran. Uh, Yeah, well, I think we ran through this one last week as well. So stock goes ex-dividend, price drops. We add back the dividend. So we restore the price to what it'd been like. However, that could still mean in the ensuing period between ex-dividend and when you get the dividend banked with you, that the price does keep dropping further. And even if you add the dividend back, it can go below below a a sell line, either a three-point trend line or a rule one sell. So you still have to sell it in that case. In the normal course of business, and usually for large cap stocks like the banks or someone like that, they'll go ex-dividend and by the time they pay it, the share price is recovered from that ex-dividend. But that's just the rule of thumb. That's just what's meant to happen. It doesn't always work that way. So they can keep dropping when in a falling market. It's probably a reasonable chance they'll keep dropping. So so yes, Kieran, add the dividend back until it, it, you get it in your bank. 
And then after, and if it drops below a sell line, sell it. And don't forget to, I meant to say, to add the franking credits as well. And depending on where, what's in what structure Kieran owns the stock, the franking credits will have different uh, benefits to him. But generally, you want to add the franking credit back because you you will receive something for that, either a tax rebate on, on your tax return, or you know if you're a um, a low marginal taxpayer, like you're in the superannuation fund, for example then you will, uh, or the shares run in the superannuation fund, then you'll get a good chance of getting a rebate from the government. So do that too. And the second question is, why do we do this ad back until we get the money in the bank? Well, it's, again, it's just a rule of thumb. It's uh, given the, usually it takes a little while for that to happen. So we're giving the share price some grace period to recover, to get some buying back in the market. It's usually a period of weeks before you get the, the check paid. Sometimes it's a lot longer than that. But my thinking is that once you've got the money and, and you're going to redeploy it somewhere else, you're not going to, you can't really pin it back on the share that paid the dividend. If you've, you know, if you've used that capital somewhere else to buy another share, it's kind of having two uses for the same dollar. So that's the reason that I, I do it that way. Yeah, that was Mark's question last week. He was saying, I've trousered the dividend even after the payment date, shouldn't I continue to factor it in? And you said, no, you've already redeployed it somewhere else. So it's a different equation now. Thank you for that. Thank you, Kieran. Josh, hi, Cam. I have a question around investment prioritization and risk tolerance. My fiance and I bought our first home in 2018. And when setting up the loan, I opted for a full offset facility to support optionality in the future. We are now in the later on phase and have the loan essentially fully offset as I always wanted to do this before pouring a heap of money into an investment account other than my superannuation, which I have had maxed at the 25k limit for the last three years. What are your thoughts on potentially taking, say, 100,000 out of this to support building the portfolio faster? I understand that this is clearly a decision focused on personal risk tolerance. However, my rate with my rate at around 4.2%, which isn't very high comparative to potential returns, I'd be interested in your views. For context, we're in our late 20s at the moment with plans to buy a bigger home in a year or so. I also have the option to refinance the house and pull equity out of it thanks to appreciation since 2018. Is this something to consider or is it along the lines of TK's previous warning around margin investing, etc.? TLDR, what are your thoughts around pulling money out of home loan offset accounts versus simply accumulating the funds over time? Is this similar to margin investing or does it make sense to carry some interest expenses based on expected market returns for 2022 onwards? I realize that QAV is primarily stock market focused, but I feel this is probably a question many people have when looking at sorting slash finding that entry capital to start investing and justifying the costs of research slash learning as a function of Total portfolio value. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. This one's bordering on specific financial advice. So I'm, I'm going to just talk around my experiences and sort of general frameworks for investing rather than giving Josh um, a written plan as to what he should do because that would be illegal. And I don't want to close the podcast down <laughs> for Josh's question <laughs> or my answer to Josh's question. If they change the AFL cell laws as they're talking about, we don't even need an AFSL, but... Uh... We'll see what happens. We'll yes, see, Josh, yeah. you should you should see a financial planner and discuss it with them. A licensed financial planner first, Josh. Now Tony's going to talk to you about basic principles. Yeah, general financial advice. So, I mean, the first thing, Josh, is we're capital allocators. As investors, 
even if we're running a business or a household, where it always makes sense to put money where it gets the best return. That's kind of the rule one of investing. All of the investments you've talked about here, about whether you should be using an offset account to reduce the interest on your home, whether you should be investing in the market, whether you should be refinancing to invest in the market, they're all kind of secondary things. The first thing is to work out where to put the money, where you want to invest. And in the long term, the the two horses that win in the Australian context anyway are, are retail, residential property and the share market. So that's your starting point. And you've done one of them. So you want to consider doing the other one. And what I mean by that is an index fund in the Australian market over the long term gets around 10% and residential property gets around 10%. Sometimes one gets 12, one gets eight, but you know they're generally on average the best places to park your money. So that's, that's the first thing to note. The second thing to note is if you're doing things like putting money into an offset account, you're comparing the return that you're getting from not paying interest against using that money somewhere else. So whether it's an index fund in the share market or whether it's property, and both of those two examples are getting over the long term 10%, whereas you're paying around 4 5 maybe 6% in this market if you refinance. It makes sense to draw down and reinvest or to refinance and reinvest. So they're the, they're the general principles because you can make more money on, in the long term from investing it somewhere else more than you're saving by having money in an offset account to offset payment of your mortgage. So they're the kind of basic principles. I did also want to touch on super. So you're talking, you were talking about contributions to super. And you know, standard financial advice says to contribute to super. I have, it's from time to time, contributed to super, but it's not my prime consideration. And I'll make a couple of specific comments about super. It, it's a great tax advantaged way to hold your investments. But there are a couple of drawbacks. One is you have to live until you get to retirement age to get the benefit of those investments and the tax advantages, I guess, that go with those investments. And two, if you're not setting up an SMSF fund, you're tied into having someone manage those funds for you. And three, it's a one-way street. So the money's in there, so you can't get it back except for exceptional circumstances. I know they allowed withdrawals during COVID, which was exceptional. And if you're very, very sick, you can withdraw from super as well. So there are some ways to do it. But basically, you're stuffing money in without being able to take it out. So you can't take it out for a deposit on the house. You can't take it out if uh, your spouse gets sick or your child gets sick. You, it's stuck in there. You can't take it out if you've had a fantastic um, insight into where to invest. It's all in the super fund. And one of the comments I will make again in general about the position as explained by Josh is he's fairly young and standard financial advice would be to go for a high growth investing option. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. 
And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style, but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, you know, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. Um, it's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. That's it. Um, if you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFS cell 520442, AFS representative number 00129271. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.